want to talk to you guys about what the Lord is doing here. Some of you were not here last week, and uh, going to get right into this. Everybody say the one. You all are lame, y'all. What was that? What in the world was? Uh-huh. Everybody say the one. My goodness, thank you. I want you to know that this month the Lord has just diverted my plan of, of going through Matthew verse by verse, and want and He's and God is guiding me. To, to teach us about evangelism. And the reason why I'm sitting down is because I want to teach about evangelism. I do not want to preach until I sweat all over this place and almost uh, bust a vein. I want to teach on evangelism. Why? Because I want us to get it. I want us to get in our gut today that it's not normal that there's empty chairs here right now. I want us to get in our mind that there's a problem. Because it's not normal. Last uh, Friday, just Friday that passed, we had almost 100 teenagers in here. We had to go to the uh, we had to go to the nursery and pull out other chairs and put them in here. And so there is a problem with our adult congregation right now. Your pastor is not happy. He is not a happy camper because our adult congregation is lacking in passion for souls. And if it was up to me, I would just sleep in on Sundays. And I would just come Sunday nights to where there's passion for young adults. We're going to do this again at the end of the service, gentlemen. Thank you. I would come on Fridays with the youth because, I'll tell you what, and it started with Easter. When Easter came about, we saw Good Friday was packed. There was an excitement. When we gave the altar call. We, we saw uh, older people, but mostly all just young people. The, the place was just filled with young people just saying, man, I want Jesus. And then when we, gave, we, went, we had an Easter service, the place was sort of filled, but not as, as much as Friday. And when we gave the altar call, you know, there wasn't really any movement. It was like, you know, like, like you either had not brought in your lost friends or lost people and you didn't think they were needing to do it. And so what's happening right now is people are passing you out notes because I can't help but be real with what's going on in my heart. I appreciate, you know, Israel and his family. You said, I, I appreciate you being real. I appreciate you appreciate me being real. And so there is a problem. I am not at all happy right now with the way things are going on Sunday mornings. I will cancel a Sunday morning because I am not a religious person. I am not a religious person. When I first got saved, I had hated religion so much. It wore me out. It wore my family out. Pastors wore people out. They wasted time, money, and effort. And I'm going to tell you why. Because what is going on here is what we're already seeing, and it's like right at these beginning stages. And then the church goes in these phases. And right now what we're seeing is, yeah, as it gets a little full on Sundays, it's like people are like just coming and making this their religious church. Like this is going to be, you know, like, you know, United Church of Christ right here or, or this other one down the street. And I, and I can't let that happen. And, and to me, even if we filled these chairs, but it still was the way it was, because like I said, Easter, it was filled, but it felt so empty. Does everybody understand what I'm talking about? Like I am a pastor and it's my job to judge my own church. If you don't think so, read First Corinthians chapter 5. It's my job to judge the church I pastor. It's my job. And the Bible says make a right judgment. I don't judge by appearances. I'm judging by what we say and what we do. And 
What I'm feeling is, as I feel like there's like this mindset that I'm in a tug of war with in Chicago, and I think it's all across America right now, of what a church should be, you know? And it's like, I think this Sunday morning setting, just it just like sucks people into this comfort zone. It's like it just sucks them in. It's like, this is what a church should be. We sing a few songs. We take up an offering. The pastor gets on us because we're not Christians like we should be. Then we go on throughout the week, possibly pop in for a Bible study, hear some, some more information, and that's it. You know, drop our kids off to youth group, whatever. That is not the church. I mean, that is so, adults, listen to me. All my adults that are 30 plus years old, listen to me. That is so far from the church. If Jesus Christ saw that, he would puke. Revelations chapter 3. He would just puke. He would be like, do you call this a church? He would say, like, this is not a church. Now, I do believe we need a church. And, and I still feel confident in a Sunday morning service. I feel confident that, that, there, that there is a need and that if we meet the need, we can draw in families and, and people can be touched. And, and uh, children, because of the Sunday service, are able to come out and children are touched. <coughs> Excuse me. But what I don't feel comfortable with is that we as an adult congregation, and I'll put myself as the we in that, are not being an inspiration to this church. Sunday mornings aren't the most exciting services in our church. Friday nights are the most exciting services. Saturday evangelism is more exciting. Sunday night, our very first Sunday night with young adults, we had like six visitors, all between the age of like 20 and 30. Like people just got excited. They started inviting people. The place was filled. It was, it was a wonderful turnout. I felt God's presence. I felt excitement. I felt like I was proud to say, this is a service that I pastor. This is a service. This is a service. I feel on Sunday mornings like I'm ashamed and embarrassed, not of the size of our congregation, but of our passion. You know, I was thinking to myself, on a youth service, I have to fight for, for the students to testify because they always want to testify. Every week, there's like six of them saved, you know, and they're, in, and they're always wanting it. There's like always somebody new. And I'm thinking to myself, like, when was the last time I even had, like, an adult testify? When was somebody that was just so passionate about God, they were like, man, i got to testify. i gotta, I got to come up here and say, you know, this is what's going on. And I just began to think, maybe, maybe like, in the last six months, I can count, like, five on my hand. And I mean, that's like, that's like stretching, you know. That's like thanking, like, somebody testifying, like, thanking God, I woke up in the morning. we got to count that testimony. You know what I'm saying? And i got to think to myself, what in the world is going on? Because this does not look like my church. And today's service is just like, it's just like, man, what is this? I'd rather just get along with four people here that love God, play the guitar, speak in tongues, lay hands on each other. And let's feel that at least we had an, uh, an encounter with God. You know what I'm saying? I can't have religion. And what I think, and this is what I've been praying about, because since Easter it was just like, it was like a punch in my gut. And like I said, it's not numbers. I'll preach to five people. It doesn't matter to me. But, but it's, it's the atmosphere. It's the atmosphere of this place. It's like, let me describe it to you. It's like during the prayer time, it's like we can feel God doing something. The expectation is getting great. And then once everybody's here, it's like, poof. And I don't feel this expectation. I don't, I don't, I don't hear the cries of, of, of people here, you know, just crying out in worship, like, I want more. And when we do the, uh, the time of let's pray for miracles, like, even that's become religious. You know, it's like, now we pray for miracles, and now we dap, you know, this little 
bit of oil. Be healed, brother. God bless you. And I remember that in my church I used to go to in Indiana, the Frozen Chosen Church I was telling you about. It was like every week the pastor would stand up. He'd say, anyone sick, step out into the aisle and they will pray for you. You know, and then here comes the brother. And it's like that little soft music in the background. person dabs a little oil, walks on down, dabs a little oil. And it's like, what is that? We don't expect anybody to get healed. We don't expect anybody to manifest a devil fall out on the floor and and disrupt all that cute little service. And where I think and I believe God is pointing us to is really the heart for the lost. And I think what has happened is is, is we have, in in our other services, generated people that just love young people. Now, you have to understand, I have studied church history as long as I have been a Christian. So age has absolutely nothing to do with this. Anybody that tells me after service, well, Joe, I, I'm a family man. You know, this is how it is for me. You know, I'm not going to believe that. I'm just going to have you read the, the Wesleyan movement. I'm going to have you read about just what I told you about, Cho's Church in South Korea. Uh, you know, I'm going to teach you about the Bogota revival in, uh, you know, Bogota, Colombia. It has nothing to do with age. But this is what I've seen happen is what has happened is we started the youth group a year after we started the church. So the church has been around for a a year longer than the youth group. And so I'm assuming, man, this place should be packed every week, and not just with the numbers. Remember we're not talking about numbers, but with the excitement of lost souls being saved. Like the excitement, like you have brought somebody here, you have won them to the Lord on the streets, and now they're here. And there is just like this excitement, not that to say like I'm against our visitors that we've been generating on Sunday mornings, but nine times out of ten, the visitors we are generating are other church people. You know, like other religious people. No offense if you're visiting from another church, we love you. I'm just saying like we're not here for that. Like, I am not here to compete with, you know, with uh, Bishop Meeks and Dick Howe and uh, Bill Hybels out in the suburbs. Like, I'm not here to, like, be like, well, you think that's good. Well, come over here, you know. I'm not here to have, like, some competitive preach-off with them. Like, who preaches better? Who's smart? Who's better looking? Who sets up their church more convenient for everyone to feel comfortable? We're, We're not in a competition with these guys. I'm like, man, God bless them all with the 100,000. We still won't even get close to 6 million. That's the population of our city. So all we're asking for is our 100,000. They can have the 5,900,000. Amen? I'm just saying, like, we're not in a competition. But here's the thing. When we come, it's, it's like our visitors, they're not coming to be delivered. It's like we're not preparing them to step in this place and be challenged. It's like... Yeah, yeah, I have a religious service. And I know you don't say it like this, but it's almost like, you know, like I felt that for Easter. You know, it's like we have a religious service for you to attend. Attend our religious service. My pastor won't keep you past 12, and we can go on with our day and pretend we never even went to church. And, you know, and I'm here giving this altar call, and it's like, man, there's no weeping. There's no people broken. And I am saying as a man, I am a man, okay? I'm not a child, all right? I may work with youth. I may do all that, but I'm a, I'm a man, okay? I'm saying as a man, I know what it's like to be broken before God. I know what it's like to weep before God. We've seen our men here break before God. And so something is not connecting with the Sunday morning service in this community of how they need to come here and break before God. Something is not connecting to them. Where, like I said, like in a youth service, when we had to pull out chairs, this whole place, like I said, 90 people just on a normal service. When we give the altar call, there are like young kids coming up here crying, saying, I need to start my life over again. And I just feel it has to do with our hearts. And, and, there's, and there's some of you here that have been coming over a year. 
And it's like you haven't even gone through like the seven-step book. The seven-step book was intended to be an introduction to the church accomplished in seven weeks. And there are some of you that have been coming to the church for a year, and you haven't even accomplished that. So in, in number-wise, we have more youth that are going through their book that I actually wrote for adults than we have adults going through their book. And just, that is just training how to be a Christian. <laughs> are you all with me? Are you all getting this? And, and, and what I'm telling you is, man, I can't have a religious service. I just, I can't. I would rather, I mean, like, you have no idea how tempted I get. I don't know how many of y'all would follow me, but I would rather just, like, march right now in shorts and comfortable clothes, so don't feel like you have to dress up when you come. Just march right now to Portage Park and just wave a little banner and say, we are the church and we're here to minister to you, so that we all can get the idea we've got to be different. Don't you all know that Jesus loves you? Does everybody here know that Jesus loves you? Do you understand that you've got to have faith in God? Do you understand that the Bible is filled with 300 promises? Do you understand? That? Well, let's do something about it. Let us do something about it. Because all of us just coming here and just talking about it and us being religious is absolutely doing nothing. Once again, I thank God for Sunday mornings because it touches children's lives. I thank God for Sunday morning because it helps fund the ministry. Even though some of you may not be doing much for God, you are supplying the need more so than some of our youth offerings, obviously. So I thank God for that. I don't want to cut out the legs and be all broke, busted, and disgusted. Be like, but we're reaching souls. So, yeah, I think there has to be a give and a take. But I'm like, we want more than your money, Sunday congregation. Nancy and I want more than your tithe. We want your passion. I want to see more people like David who get on fire for God and are just going to hit their community and keep preaching. And it's got to start with this adult congregation. These, these teenagers who come, and it's like, let me just tell you this, this is this another thing. When, when these teenagers come to the Sunday morning service, this is their time to watch you worship. Why did we get in our mindset that somehow this is our turn to say how proud we are of them? No, they want to see you jump in right next to them. What is this? Are you better than David? I want to ask every adult here. Are you better than King David in the Bible who took off his king's robe and danced like a fool in front of the whole nation? I mean, they're not here to be like this. And I'll tell you what, every time we have visitors, what do they say? We love the passion for the youth. We love, they never talk about you adults. Or so. We love the passion for the youth. And I almost have to, like, sit there and convince them. and be like, no, we do have adults that love Jesus in our congregation. They're like, yeah, right, but those are like everybody else. They're just like every other adult. Like, it's just no big deal to them. It's like, yeah, those are adults that come. Those are adults that sit there. Those are adults that, it's not impressive to them. There's thousands of churches across America today that have adults like you come to church, give their tithes, and go on their way. Now, I know for some of you that's a big accomplishment because some of you might have used to be going to the clubs, baka baka, you know, reggaeton all night, and then sleep in on Sundays. And so just getting you here is a great testimony. Praise God. But let me get you into the church world here a little bit to get you to understand. There's tons of people all across America today that come to church like you, pay their tithes, and go about their way. And see, there's nothing, there's nothing, there's not a blessing in that. But people come and they say, oh, we're blessed by these four or five that sit up here in the front row and some of these girls, thank you, brother. It's already becoming a little obvious. I was supposed to be teaching today. And, and you know what? It's, it's like, yeah, we, we see these four or five here. And it's like, yeah, they're great. Look at them. They jump up and down. They actually are excited to be here. They come to the 915 prayer meeting. They're going to their small group today. Yesterday they were at evangelism. They're going to be doing the Elote for Jesus at their school. Okay, well, why don't you just give them your car keys and let them just drive you to church and be your, your whatever, your little chaperone then? 
Why don't we just make them the elders of our church? Why don't we stop trying to have an adult service? And how about I just wear my FUBU South Pole shirt on Sunday morning, play rap music, do the lights, and we'll have more fun. Because if it's for them, then let them be them then. Because I don't need to have a religious service. Now, I know that we as adults can step it up, and I think what we need to do is we need to get our passion back on souls. Now, I could, I, could, I could be that, you know, we have sin in our hearts, and I could start saying, that well, we're this and we're that and we're this. But I'll tell you what's going to make or break all of that is whether or not you love souls. If you don't love souls, you probably have a, an issue with sin. You're going to have junk in your heart. And there's going to be things that keep you back from winning souls. If you don't like winning souls and if you're not about building a passionate service, there's probably some issues with you in faith. You probably don't believe that God can actually heal somebody. You, you may not believe that we can actually see demons cast out here. We don't have to tell stories of other churches. We can tell our own. And you see, there has to come a place like where, where souls become so important that everything else fits around that. You know, because if, if we ever lose the passion for that, then, you know, you just need to find another pastor because I am not going to be that religious guy, you know. I'm not going to be that guy It's like, I'm so happy you're here. My, my CDs and tapes are in the back, you know, for five ninety nine, And, you know, here's what I do. Watch the Joe show, and I'm going to pump you guys up every week, lay hands on people that fall down, go boom, and, and you'll just talk about me. Like I heard this one woman talk about her pastor for a half hour at the table about how much she loved her pastor, what her pastor. I'm like thinking, what do you do for God other than just talk about how great your pastor is i'm not going to be that one i don't want to be that one at your table that you just go on and on my pastor does this my pastor did that my pastor prayed for this no just tell me what you do we're here to build up you the bible says that prophets pastors teachers and evangelists are here to equip the saints for works of ministry so on a sunday morning i don't know what that looks like I don't know if that means, you know, Yvette and Nancy and, and the Israel Pinto family and some of you. Now, you stand up here and you jump in the front. I don't know if that's what it means. I don't know. If it's Isabel and George, I don't know if that's what it means. I don't know if it means you all come early and we all pray together. I, I don't know what it means, but I'm going to tell you what I know it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean we have more men breakfasts and w- women's knitting club uh, ceramic meetings and, and more dinner meet. No, what it means is we catch on fire for Jesus. Now, I don't know what this Sunday morning congregation is going to look like when it catches on fire. I, I'm getting an idea of what our youth are looking like. I'm getting an idea of what the young adults that are looking like that, that come to the Sunday morning, but then when we gave them their own thing, like they showed us what they were really wanting. You know, I, I don't know what this is going to look like. But all I can say, if the only option is, is for this church to be successful, we have to change the message and become some religious church. Man, I will not do that, okay? So what I want us to do, and I feel God wants us to do, is to get a passion for souls again. To actually, as adults, look at this globe and say, I'm here to impact this world for Jesus. Because maybe you won't wake up in the morning and say, whippy, you know, yippee, I'm going to Sunday service and I get free coffee this morning. Okay, so maybe it might be easier to bribe a youth to come, you know. It's like, hey, you get free candy. And they're like, yeah, I get free candy. But even then, they're smarter than that. But here's the thing. I think if really adults are going to get on fire, if this Sunday morning congregation is going to get it, you need to see your purpose to win souls. We need to go out and win souls. It's like Josh and Marty have to go out in their community and go win a lost person to Jesus and bring them here. 
I have to invite my neighbors who I've already had dinner with from upstairs and, and invite them to the church. And you see them. That is the only way. Because like I said, I'm not going to be that religious song and dance pastor that you're going to be like, yeah, come to my church because we got a great choir. And, and you're, you're like, you're going to convince you're going to convince somebody from another church they need to come. Because let me just share with you something. Out of all the growth America today, you know, right now we have more larger churches than ever before. You know, we have Willow Creek and we have all these churches. Let me just give you guys a statistic. The church is dying. All that's happening right now with mega churches is that people are leaving their other churches. See, with Willow Creek, they are finding out the majority of the people that have come to their church, they did a whole survey, have left another church and have come to their church. Like, you know, the evangelical church down the road, the United Church of Christ down the road. People have just left and come to their church. Very few churches in America are actually winning new people than discipling them. Very few, and I'm not, I know Will Creek does it, so I'm just mentioning them, but he put out a whole survey that he himself is getting upset with the way things are because he is seeing that all we are doing is just shifting people around on Sunday mornings. You know, it's like all of a sudden this great speaker starts a church over here. He starts off with 20 people. He advertises, and you know, and they ran out of school, and like, boom, 300 people are there. Well, where did those 300 people come from? When that church starts on the first day and they have 300 people, where did those 300 people came from? They came from K-Love and all those radio advertisements, and they were going to First Baptist down the road, and now they hear about another church, and like, well, we're going to go to this church. You understand? We don't do that here. You see, we, we don't advertise on Christian radio like, hey, all you guys looking for a cool church, we're cooler than all the other churches. Like all of you guys looking for somebody who's a really good pastor, can preach, he preaches better, you know. And I really think, like, when you look at Charisma Magazine, some of you are familiar with Christian culture. That's exactly what it is. You know, like, conference of fire. We're having bishop, blah, 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 and prophetess, da, da, da. You know, and it's like, woo, who can build this biggest church of just getting everybody else to come? As a matter of fact, I just received a flyer. I have it right here in my pocket. Let me tell you exactly how, how it works. This is what Gary does. Because I, I kept this, and this is why I guess I kept it. And no offense to this brother right here, but this is what he does. This is, this is what a, a pastor does. He goes around, and he says, hey, I'm having, you know, a crusade. And where does he put his flyers? Does he, does he put his flyers on the bar? Does he, does he go down to Belmont and Clark and, and try to get gay and, and lesbian people to come? Does he meet us out in Ohio Park? No. You know where he puts the flyer? On my window. And then he calls me up and he's like, hey, pastor, you want to come to my revival service? No, I don't want to come to your revival service. I want to go win a lost soul for Jesus. You understand what I'm saying? I'm not into this. I'm not into like, hey, let me ask a pastor to come to my revival service. I don't want to have a revival service. Are you all listening? I want to go right out there and I want to win somebody to Jesus. I want the people that come here to either be one of two types of people, either lost and they get saved or, so, or the so on fire for God person that just brought the lost person to get saved. That's it. So you are either lost in this room right now and you need to give your heart back to Christ or you are on fire for God. So right now, if you are lukewarm, you're not fitting in with the vision and you're irritating me in this church because you are not doing what you came to, what God brought you here to do. And Jesus got irritated with people like you. I'm so serious. And you've got to be honest with yourself. What the heck are you doing? 
Man, it's like if, if you've been in this church for a year and you're not willing to get saved and get discipled and, and, and go out and preach the gospel, really, what are you doing then? And Jesus himself gave ultimatums. He said, if you're not for me, you're against me. And I think it's befitting to say that same challenge here. If you are not for our vision at Metro Praise, you are against our vision. If you are not for the vision of us going out and winning souls, if me waving this banner up here does not get you happy and excited, but it offends you, you have issues. You are not helping us. You need to go to this man's church. I'll leave it up here. And you guys all together can go hand out flyers to other churches, to your church, and be proud of yourself. But that's not what we're going to do. And then I look again at the, uh, the, the youth here, and I, and I look at another example, and I would say one of the reasons why they may be more moldable right now is because they're younger and they're more humble. So then I begin to think about my relationships with adults. And you know how we sit at the table, we'll talk about the job, we'll talk about this. But then how many actually then come back to me with hunger for God? Like, Pastor, I want to be hungry for God. Pastor, I want to be radical for God. You know, my parents listened to last week's messages, last week's message that that was called 10 Excuses Not to Evangelize. And those of you who missed it, you need to get it because it started with Easter and that was my first message I brought, 10 Excuses Not to Evangelize, and now we're moving in this. And my parents listened to it and my mom emails me back and she says, that made me weep. She said, I wept for my church, I wept for your church, and my mom calls me up Saturday, and she says, how many adults now are with you on evangelism? And I counted, and there was five. You see, I'm like, man, you know, to me, it's like, if you're not feeling what we're feeling here, like, you need to get saved, or you need to go to another church that's going to scratch your little religious itch. Because what needs to happen on Sunday mornings is this place needs to be worth me getting up for It needs to be worth you bringing your family here. Man, when you have your children, man, do you want to point to a church and say, you know, this is kind of like the book of Acts, but it's not really like the book of Acts. It's kind of like a watered-down version, you know, but we come here anyways, you know. No, I want you to be able to point to your kids and say, man, this is like the book of Acts. When you go home today and you read your Bible, young child, this is like what they did. They got on fire. They won souls. They gave to the poor. They raised the dead. They laid hands on the sick. Now watch your mommy and daddy go do that. And so this whole idea of, you know, we're just coming to the church to watch our youth impress us again has got to go. What we've got to do is we've got to zero in. And every one of you know who I'm talking about. I could just name you. There's there's enough time I can name you all by name. But I'm trying to keep this as, as, as respectful as possible without crossing that line of being the crazy pastor. But each one of you know there's a challenge before you. And it's, like, it's really something that I don't understand. It's like I don't understand. I, um, you know, my test is like, you know, being successful. Like everything that we do is successful, you know. We, we put out for souls, we win souls. We put out for, uh, you know, youth group, it's successful. And then, like, I look around right now, and the one thing that is not the way it's like, you know, you're like, you look around, there's something that doesn't belong, something that doesn't fit in. And I look around, and what does not fit in right now is the Sunday morning service. It does not fit in. Now, I would discuss it with you guys in leadership class, but most of you, most of you are not in leadership class. I would discuss it with you before we went out evangelizing. But when I showed up for evangelizing, let me show you what evangelism looked like yesterday. It looked like this row right here and like, like Josh and Marty right there. That was, that was evangelism, you know. Then we showed up out there and some more people came. And it's like, what am I going to do? Am I going to rebuke my kids again? Like, kids, you're not doing enough. You need to preach to your parents. I mean, they've already done all they can do. 
I mean, think about what a youth does. He comes to church. They evangelize. They preach to their moms and dads. They go out to their school. Then they come here and jump up and down. What more? Do you, how much more of the burden do you want them to carry for you? They clean the church after y'all leave. After y'all leave, the youth clean the church. I mean, what more do you want them to do for you? I mean, honestly, they are already doing way more beyond than what they should do. And I think what the challenge is right now in this church has to be personally asking yourself the question, what am I doing for God? And do I love lost souls the way I ought to love lost souls? Thank you. I'm fine. Everybody's trying to attend to me right now. Like, it's okay. I have water. I have, I have uh, a napkin to wipe myself down. I can use the bathroom on my own if I have to go. Thank you. I am okay. Everyone relax, okay? It's it's like everyone's like, help pastor out right now. Before we know, somebody will be fanning me, okay? Listen, it's, 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 it's just the truth. I'm still happy. I still love Jesus. But the thing is, is what we need to do is be passionate about what Christ is passionate for. And, and there's like a part of me that, 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 you know, I'm thinking like through all these extreme things to send a wake-up call. Well, obviously this is extreme. But there's other things like, like I would love just to say like, okay, all the youth don't come on Sunday mornings for a month, for just a month. And when you're, you know, we'll have like one of our youth leaders, Adolfo, you know, meet with them at, uh, you know, somebody's house, you know, David and Aristotle's house, have a Bible study with them, pray with them and love them. But let the adult congregation see really what's going on. You know, remove them from the excitement of praise and worship. Remove them from cleaning the church after it's done. Remove them from working back in the nursery. Just, just remove the youth from the church and just let the adults come. Let, us, let all the adults just fill up these two rows right here and let us look at each other as we're clapping hands going, okay, when are you going to get excited, Bob? I don't know. When are you going to get excited? And we'll just, we'll just keep doing it until one of somebody's like, hey, I'll jump. I'll get excited. I'll actually love Jesus with you. And then next week, you bring a visitor, and then the person sitting next to you, because there's only two rows of you, and that person will look next to you and go, hey, man, that's awesome. You brought a friend. I'm so excited to see you here, because it was just all of us up here. It was just all of us and our, our youth, you know, just the youth. But now it's us, and now there's, now there's an extra person. You know, I, I wish that that's what, one of the extreme things we could do, because then we could see, like, okay, what's Charles doing, you know? What's Dave and Araceli doing? What's Legia doing? Okay. What, what's George doing? What's, what's Israel doing? What's, you know, what's the Rodriguez family doing? Okay, show us what you're doing. Show us what your passion is. Let's get you guys up in the front row. Because that is what it feels like for me. It's like I feel like somehow it's like when we say shout, what we're really saying is youth, you just shout. When we're saying let's jump up and praise the Lord, what we're really saying is our four youth jump up. And I got my youth leaders just saying amen because they've gotten saved here. And they're already looking for leadership. Let me give you an example. Adolfo, come stand up here. I think Griselda and Sue Ellen are in the back. Let me give you an example. Oh, Griselda, come on up here. Stand right here. I want to give you guys just a perfect, practical example. Both of you, Adolfo, come on. Look at this handsome guy right here. Can you all give him a hand clap as they come? Now, I don't don't think there's any better of a time to have this, this, this little meeting than right now. These two have gone through the class and done everything that we've asked them to do. And they are being appointed as elders in our church. Because the Bible gives me a a, a list of requirements that somebody has to fulfill to be an elder. I started preaching at the age of 20. uh, Rather 19, but I started being a pastor at the age of 20. 20 years old. They're both older than I was. Okay? 
And, and I was going to say, you know, in this church, you know, we want married couples and we want them to be saved for three years and all this. And then we just began looking around about who's the married couples that have been saved for three years that are doing anything. We're like, they're not doing it. And we started looking around and we're like, these guys have got saved in the ministry. And within a year, and they remind me, I'll tell you why I love them so much, because they remind me of myself. See, I got saved, and I hope you take that as a compliment, <laughs> because I got saved, and within three months, I was preaching. Within six months, I was in Bible college. Within another six months, within the first year of Bible college, they appointed me to be a pastor. And some people say, well, that was too soon. That was too much too quick. I've been blazing for 12 years. So somebody believed in me and kept saying, okay, Christianity's for you, just like Paul did with Timothy. Okay, Timothy, how far do you want to go? John the Revelator was probably 16, hanging out with Jesus. He was called the Beloved. He laid on his chest. Remember at the Last Supper? He was probably only 16 years old, and he was blazing for glory. And he was right next to Peter, who was probably in his late 30s, early 40s. Right next to Matthew, the tax collector, who was probably in his 40s. And so I began to look around and say, okay, well, if these are my elders... And if these are the ones that have gotten saved and raised up over the last year, then why don't we have a Sunday morning church service for them? Why are we trying to have a Sunday morning church service for religious people that want to feel comfortable because they couldn't make it to Bishop so-and-so's church or whatever church on whatever, you know, wherever those people are? Let's just have a church service for them. Let's have chairs in a circle. Let's put on some light music. Let's have the cafe open. Let's have acoustic worship. And let's just pretend like, you know, we don't care about the families because these are our elders. And this is, they're, they're the ones bringing their friends. They're the ones that they're discipling their friends. If there's, if there's any passion among the adults, because they are, they are adults. They're old enough to go to war and to vote. They're adults, 23, 23 years old, right? And they're both single. Amen. God might be doing something. Praise the Lord. A little embarrassing. Forgive me. <laughs> and now it's like, there they are. So it's like, hey, you know, Charles, and this is no offense, but I'm just calling out names so we can all make this real and relevant. You know, Charles needs prayer. This, this is who's going to pray for him. This is it. I mean, this is like, this is our church. Now, once again, if, if there's a way for us to have Bob and his wife, and I'm just using examples of names, you know, to become elders in this church, and we're not doing it a, a, a godly way, I would like to know. But I feel like, I mean, what more do we need? You know, you have a pastor like myself. I've already wrote our discipleship books, and there's hardly even any pastors that have even wrote anything, let alone at my age, over, under 30s when I wrote them, discipleship books that are theologically sound and works of integrity. Can you say amen? That there's a solid vision, connect, mentor, send. There's no confusion. The people that have been here from the beginning, my wife and I, the worship team, we are people of integrity. Rachel and Ricky, virgins getting married, police officer, you know. I mean, the, the, the people have really poured their heart into this to me they are as, as outstanding of citizens as christians as, as anybody else if they were in mega churches if we were all and i was a part of a large church we would all be elders and leaders there as well but the question is why isn't metro praise reflecting this passion among adults among older adults among families why why are we why are we not reflecting this passion why isn't sunday morning bringing in those people. So those are some serious questions I want you to ask. Can we give them another hand clap? Amen. So go ahead and open up your Bible with me to Mark, uh, Matthew 18. It is so early. Thank you, Jesus. It's like the Lord just froze time. And some of you who have never been a part of a church that had a family meeting, this was our first family meeting. Welcome to a real church. Some of you are like, wow, that's kind of weird. But you know what? I love this. 
And I was actually watching a guy, Mark Driscoll from Mars Church. He has the largest church in Seattle, and he had a whole talk like this with his church. And I'm like, wow, man, if he did that with 10,000 members, I might as well do it here too. And I thought to myself, you know what, why be fake with you guys? So I want you to think about that as we're about ready to read this. What if, let's just make it real provoking and real challenging. What if next Sunday all teenagers that go to Elevate Youth Group stand up for me? All teenagers. All teenagers that go to Elevate Youth Group. That would be you, Carla. That would be you. There you go. Adolfo's a youth leader. Go ahead. There you go. Now imagine if all of these people were not here next week and all of you that remain were in these first two rows. Think about that. Everybody's basically sitting behind them. Actually, that's another funny fact right there. You're all sitting behind them. Think about that. Man, that is something. I am just, matter of fact, I want to do something. Adolfo, do a Bible study with them in the children's room, and I want all the adults to fill up these first rows. So greet the youth as they go. Amen? Come on, give them a hand clap as they go. And as you start to feel uncomfortable right now, I want all of you in the back row to come fill up these first rows. I want everybody to fill up rows now. You guys have a Bible study. You've already heard your message this week. I want to talk to some adults. Augie, you go with them as well. There you go. Bell and Dahlia, come sit in the front, please. Let them, they've already heard their message. Y'all right here, come sit in the second row. There's no reason to sit in the last row. There you go. There's room for us all to sit in the, Charles, come on. So you took your time, brother. You waited for somebody else to get your seat. Come on, right there. There you go. Now, this is our church. Amen. Thank you for coming up here, brother. This is our church. You all get it now? Is that not a visual illustration or what? This is the church. Right now, this is what we're working with. Anita, Annette, Ricky, Rachel, the Torres family, Josh and Monty, is it, you know, uh, Dahlia, Bell, the Rodriguez family, the Pinto family. David, his visitors, good to see the visitors here. Amen. I know it's a little awkward. Just hold on. It'll be better. Charles, some people from our Dr. Block area. Legia and her family. Ricky and his uh, cousins and, uh, I guess, second cousins that he invited. Amen. And uh, Big Will, who's, who loves the junior high, who has spends a lot of time with them, Oscar. And uh, David and Araceli's family. So here you have probably, if you're, if you're counting families, maybe you have about maybe six to eight families, and you, and you can count maybe we're missing Ishmael and a few other single adults today. There's always some that are coming and going. But this is the church. And so what needs to happen is that you and I have got to catch the vision for this service. We have got to, like me and, and the Torres family, and I know you guys are like tigers right now. It's like, Rawr! It's like, give it to me. And that's why you couldn't wait for Ishmael because he's doing it every other week. And I know that you're doing it. And so I'm not trying to put you in a bad position. And I don't want to put the Pintos in a bad position because you guys are both new. But the rest of you, you've got to really step up because right now, you know, if, if Israel uh, and let me go, go over here. If David and Araceli, first of all, they're already in the class. If they graduate, they will have graduated before Hector and Kathy, all the Rodriguez family, Dahlia and all of them. David, everybody else, they will have graduated Legia before all of them, and we won them to the Lord on a street corner over here. How in the world is that? 
How in the world do you get a brother and his wife, and I'm just going to talk about them a little bit in a way that a pastor would look at it. They, they both come from a divorce. They had to remarry. They, they are raising six children. He owns his own business. So time is just never existing to him. It's just what is extra time, what is free time. And they raise six children, have their own business, and have come from really uh, poor Christian backgrounds. The church that David was a part of, he did not like it all. Uh, Araceli really only knew Catholicism and some of the people she knew in her life. And here they get saved. They get on fire for Jesus. They start showing up all of the time like, man, here they are again. Here they are again. They start looking for things that they do that can fill the need. They design all the signs, donate them to the church. They begin driving kids back and forth to to youth services where some adults say, you know, I can't drive. I don't want to help out in that way. And here they they just blow us all away. And they've only been a part of the church. It will be like a year in August or something, a year in July. What in the world is going on with the rest of y'all? And I even said this to my elders right here. I was like with Ricky and Rachel. I was like, man, what is that saying when Dave and Araceli are showing up on these days and all of this, and you guys are trying to play catch up with them? Like, they're asking me where you are. Like, how do I then explain to them where you are when you're not here and they're here? How do I say, well, uh, you know, Ricky and Rachel are about ready to get married. Well, we are married. They're about ready to have a house. Well, we own a house. Well, you know, we've got to work. We work three jobs among my wife and I. What, what, what excuse do I say to them? Well, they've been saved for a long time. They've got used to the church and they're backslidden. And they're not on fire like you. Is that what we're supposed to say? Because then it becomes very awkward. You understand? Then it's just, then it basically is what it's saying is, is you know what? I'm telling uh, you one thing, but my church is doing another thing. It's like Dave and Araceli, you believe me when I say we can be radical. You believe me when I say we can make a difference. You believe me when I say you can open up your home for home Bible studies and you're actually seeing a difference. But these other people who I've called leaders and I've had them here for two years, they're not doing any of that and they're just playing make-believe and one day that's what you'll become. You'll become a make-believer too. No. What we need to see happen is for those of you who have been here this time to begin to catch the same fire that they have. To begin to catch, and that's a perfect example. I mean, if you're talking about like a type A family, it would be like the Pinto family, the Rodriguez family. Uh, I mean, the, uh, Dave and Araceli. I'm just talking about an age, like what a family is, you know, 35 and older, kids that are teenagers, all the way down to little, little children, you know. I mean, that would be your type A family, working jobs, you know, owning homes. And here they're saying we can do that. Same thing with the Torres family. And so what we have to say is where's the other families? You know, what's it going to take, you know, for, for this front row right here, all of you guys in the front row, to catch it? Now, you may be saying to yourself, like, man, I am doing my part right now. Well, ask yourself the question. If you're doing your part right now, what were you doing a year ago? Because a year ago he started, and some of you guys have already been here a year. And it's like you, you have to look at it that way because Christ looks at it that way. And once again, if I have people, and I'm just trying to help you out because if I have people come into my church and they talk about how radical my youth are and then they talk about how radical those families are, I'm wondering why they're not talking about you. And I'm wondering why that's not our heart, you know. I want people, this is what the church, let me tell you what the church should look like next Sunday morning. Next Sunday morning, you all should be sitting right here and our teenagers should be behind you. And you guys should be so excited for Jesus Christ that our teenagers go to another level with God. Instead of them being at the level that my wife and I and the youth leaders set for them, you need to show them another level. 
You need to show them who in this church is going to show our youth that there's another level of this thing, that there's another passion. Who's going to show them how to abandon themselves at worship? Who's going to run up to this altar and get more of Jesus and, and just get on fire for God? Who's going to fill their whole back row or front row, whatever, with lost souls and then tap Gilbert and say, hey, you thought you had something on Friday night? Look at this right here. I brought all my cousins and brothers and sisters all right here. Instead of we sit in the back, this is where they jump, this is where I sit down, and now we just call that church. This is what Matthew 18.10 says. It says, see that you do not look down on one of these little ones. You see? Jesus was saying, don't look down on little ones. Don't look down on them. He said, for I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. What do you think if a man owns a hundred sheep? And one of them wanders away. Will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go to look for that one that wandered off? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he is happier about that one sheep than about his 99 that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any one of these little ones should be lost. There is so much to gather out of this. You see, I feel for the month of April, this is what we need to do. And I think I'm going to send them back there every week for their, for their Bible class. And we are just going to make this real for us. We're going to worship together. We are going to pray together. And I want to hear your prayers. I want to hear your shouts. I want to hear your testimonies. I want to hear you come back next week and say, Pastor, instead of getting offended, I got radical and got more like Christ. I got to talk about it. I got to tell somebody. It is amazing. After you service, I'll get done preaching, and I'll have like three and four teenagers start lining up. And they're not, when we say teenagers, some of them are like, you know, Carla and them. They'll start coming up to me like, Cindy, you know, 19 years old. Pastor, I've got to pray. God has given me a word for everybody. And all of a sudden, it's like you thought I was passionate. She just blows up. and like, Jesus, we pray you touch everybody here. Lord, let them see how real you are. And then the next person comes up. It's not like, Brother Ricky, would you please close us out in prayer today? It's like they're lining up. They're like, we got a word, Pastor. we got to pray. We've got to preach. And I want to see that. But look at this. There's so much stuff right here. First thing that he says is he loves little ones. So we know that he loves children. We know that he loves teenagers. But look at what he gives us a lesson about the one. Everyone say the one. He says the one sheep wanders away, and the shepherd looks for him. And then look at this, verse 13. And, I, and if he finds him, I tell you the truth. He is happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. Yes, Jesus loves us, and I love you. But I am more happier about that one lost one you bring than I am about you showing up every week. Let that sink in. If it offends you, you have to get over it. That's exactly what he said. He said he is happier, the shepherd is happier about that one than he is about the 99 that are there. Most pastors, most pastors spend their entire ministry trying to keep the 99 in the gates. So-and-so is going to wander over here and start getting bitter and gossip. Oh, we got to get her back. Somebody over here gets an attitude. They're getting offended. They didn't like how Pastor had them all sit in the front row. Oh, we got to have a four-hour meeting with them. Bring them back. Somebody else over here didn't like the offering. Got to go over there. No, no, no. He didn't say the pastor's job was going to be keeping 99 people all locked in together. Okay, how many of you are here today? Okay, no one's offended today. Okay, you all came back. Okay, good. How many of you all going to Bible class? Are you all going to go to your Bible class? If you called up and made sure you have another time and day with Ishmael? Okay, but 
blah, 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 blah. No, he didn't say that was going to be our job. He said our job was going to be to say, okay, y'all are here? Good. I'm leaving to go get another one. Okay, you came today? Great. You gave your tithes. You gave your offerings. You believe in this church. Now my job as a pastor is to go get another one. And your job is to say, hey, you know what? It's a given I'm coming to church. It's a given I'm going to be here Sunday morning. It's a given I'm going to give 10%. Those things are just a given. But now I'm going to go out and get one. Now I'm going to go get that one. That's why we're calling this the one. You are going to begin to see yourself as this church. This is a service. This is its own unique service. And I think, you know, because we have been so passionate about youth, because we've been so passionate about young adults, somehow our Sunday morning service has been kind of taken over by them. And they've already had their service. They've already brought their people in. They've already spoken tongues and prophesied and had a whole bunch of prayer meetings. This is your service now. This is now where, where you know, is, uh, you know uh, Cindy and Carla, that's where they go over there now. This is where you guys pray. This is when I hand the mic. I'm like, okay, brother, pray down some fuego, some nuclear fire on this place. That's what I'm like, okay, Charles, you're going to be the one that comes up here and dances your little dance and shows us what it means to be on fire for God. And if you guys trust me and see me as any type of pastor, then I know that you'll join with me this month and be radical. How many are with me? Amen? Okay. The rest of you that are not, God bless you. We love you. We'll see you in heaven. Okay? Because we're not going to make you stay. Go find a church that believes in what you believe. Because we will not be this church. I won't be this church posting up uh, uh, things on doors and, and come to my church and all that nonsense. No. We will be a church that goes after that one. That's what we are. The one. We're going after the one. I can't say it enough. The one means so much to me. And I want to arrange a Sunday morning service, and I'm just getting some Holy Ghost inspiration here, and I'm glad you all following for the ride. It might be a little bumpy, so that we can begin to see how important the one is. The one needs to fill these back rows up. The one is in your family, and you need to get passionate and pray for them this week. The one may be on uh, Ohio Park, and you've got to go out there and get it. And, and this is always my advice to people. If the people around you have already heard you preach 20 times, well, leave them and find another one. And if you're like, man, I don't know a lot, lot of lost people, that's okay. I'm like you. I work out of my house. You know, I don't see a lot of people, so you know what I do. I put myself in positions to find them. I go out specifically to Ohio Park so I can meet new people to talk to. You know, and, and on the other, every other Saturdays, we're going to go right around here. We're going to go to Portage Park, hand out bottled waters and fruit. We're going to stand out here and, and talk to people as they're catching the bus. If you know a better way of doing that, help us find a better way. But all we're going to do is find more people to share that message with, because that's the job of the church. And I was talking to Jehovah Witnesses the other day, because they were at my house, and they were trying to find their lost one. And I said, how many hours do you guys go out a month? They said, 80 hours a month. That works out to be 20 hours a week. That is why Jehovah Witnesses are growing faster than Christian churches in America. That is why they grow. Because they will go out for 20 hours every single week and go find somebody. And so if you were to talk to Jehovah Witness and you were to say, how do you define Christianity? How do you define it? They don't define it as their little messages that they have every week. They define it as they go out and preach because this is what we do. And I think for so long we've defined Christianity as my, you know, specifically in this church, as my cute little messages. You know, and, and that's why we're here is because, yeah, we're going to get trained up. But these messages, if you've noticed, every one of them actually have a plan for you when you leave the building. It's like, okay, Joe's just taught us about the one. That's nice. He's taught us that we're supposed to go get the one. Well, what do you think we do now when we leave? 
What do we do, y'all? We go, go get the one. We all get out of this building and we go get the one. I want you to look at Matthew 25, verse 31. And I'm so excited about this. I love the way the church looks now. Amen. I'm feeling it. I really am feeling it because I think it's time we see who we are working with on Sunday mornings. And so instead of just, you know, complaining about I'm not a complainer. I'm a man of faith. I love to speak words of faith. I'm not complaining about it. I want us to resolve it. And what's going to probably happen is a few weeks in April. We're going to maybe be about like this. Maybe someone's going to trickle in with a visitor or two. I don't know. It could explode next week. I don't know. But I believe we will catch this. I believe we will. How many believe we can catch this? Do you believe that? I really believe we can catch this. Now, and see, that's why I don't want to feel like people who have just joined the church, I don't want to offend you because I feel like you have done that and like, like the Carrasco family has done that. But what I am challenging is I'm challenging the elders. I'm challenging those of you who have been here for more than a year and already there's people ahead of you on the pathway. I am challenging you. I'm not angry with you. I'm not hateful towards you. I'm just saying you have got to understand that this is why our church will be a lame church. And we won't let it be lame. Amen? Because we've all been to those services where we're like, why did I come? And we'll never have that here. Let's look at Matthew 25. The sheep and the goats. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty. And you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They will also answer, Lord, when do we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then he will go, they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Can you say amen to that? Jesus says he divides the entire world at this moment to sheep and goats. And everything that determines where they go is based on what they did. I know as a good Protestant believer, the first thing that probably comes to your mind is, hey, we're saved by grace. Hey, hey Joe, I thought that we were just saved by grace, not by works, so no man can boast. What is Jesus saying here? Is he contradicting Paul? Is Paul and Jesus disagreeing? Paul says we're saved by grace, but Jesus says you're saved by works. No, James answers that question. James says we're saved by faith to do good works. If your faith does not have works, your faith is dead. So there's actually a balance. If you truly believe in Christ, you will do the things of Christ. Now, we know what I think is so noticeably uh, awesome here. I noticed it when I was first a Christian. I hope you get it today. Is that everything he said he wants us to do to show that we are Christians is for somebody else. 
He says, this is what shows me you're with me. You fed the poor. You fed the, uh, you know, you fed the hungry. You, you gave drink to the thirsty. You clothed the naked. He says, that's my mark that you were with me. Now ask yourself this question. Which one are you? Are you a sheep or you are, are a goat? When was the last time you did these things? So all of you have notes. Pull out your notes, please, with a pen and, and follow along. And tell me, when was the last time you fed the poor? When was the last time you gave a drink to the thirsty? And family members don't count, okay? When was the last time you brought in a stranger? Your announcements on the other side are notes. I'm going to start bringing notes every week because I want our adults to get this. When was the last time you clothed the naked? Giving to goodwill doesn't count. That is not you personally knowing the person personally and giving to them. When was the last time you visited somebody in prison? And once again, a family member does not count. When was the last time you did those things? That is the list that Jesus gave you on whether or not you were going to heaven according to his faith. He said, Lord, he says right up here, when you did, when you saw a stranger invite him in needing clothes and all of that, they said, when did we do that, Lord? And in verse 40, he says, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for the one of the least of these, my brothers, you did for me. So that means if we didn't feed the hungry, we didn't give to the thirsty. We didn't bring in the stranger. We didn't give the needy clothes. And we didn't visit the sick or go to visit the people that were in prison. We then, according to that definition, are not a sheep. How many of you are sheep and how many of you are goats? Now, if Jesus said that's what he's going to do on Judgment Day, why shouldn't I do that right now? Amen? I mean, do you want to go to Judgment Day and find this out for the very first time as you're getting punished with everlasting fire? And I don't mean to laugh, but I mean, could you just imagine the, you know, the shock if you've never heard this before? I mean, when did we see you, Jesus, naked? When were we supposed to do this? I mean, I was having children. I was getting my education. I was starting my career. I mean, where, where were you and when was I supposed to do this? And as you're going on your way to hell, he says to you, you were supposed to do this every time you saw them because that was me. You, you were supposed to stop on your way to work and do this. You were supposed to take time out of your job and do this. This was supposed to be so important. You arranged your life to do this. And I think that Many people here are goats, and that is why we are not replicating and and multiplying sheep. Because sheep and other animals, any animal rather, reproduces after their kind. So if you want to have sheep, what do you have to have? A mother sheep and a father sheep, right? If you want to have, you know, uh, whatever... Horses, you got to have two horses. And what I think is happening is, is our Sunday service is becoming a place of goats. It's, a coming, it's, it's becoming a place where people don't do that. It's where it's more common for people not to do it than it is to do it. And that's a problem. Because that's why the service is the way it is. Because it's a service of goats. We're, 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 we're preaching to goats. We're preaching to people who really don't want to go out and feed the poor. Who really don't want to open up their home. Who really don't want to clothe the sick. Who don't want to give drink to the thirsty. Who don't want to go visit people in prison. And, and obviously, if those are the things Jesus is listing, anything like that would be considerably the same. Stand out on corners and help young people in troubled areas. You know, go out to the poor in inner cities and, and speak to them and and adopt their children and bring them to church. Obviously, if you want you to bring them into your house, you'd want you to bring them to church. So you could just take these big general points. I mean, there's just there's so much to do. You know, feeding the needy is going out on uh, uh, Ohio and Cicero doing the uh, adopter block. You know, visiting the sick is visiting the, the homosexual who has AIDS out there on, uh, Ohio, uh, you know, Belmont and Clark. You know, and it's like, when do we do that? 
And so what Jesus is saying is that sheep feed the poor, but goats don't. Sheep give drink to the thirsty, but goats don't. Sheep bring in strangers, goats don't. Sheep clothe the naked, but goats don't. Sheep will visit people in prison, but goats do not. See, this is when we step up. This is when we say we're going to do that. Now, I know, granted, some of you just may have so much going on in your life and work because if you don't work on Saturdays, the uh, national economy will fall and the stock market will crash. And I say that a little bit sarcastically. Yeah, and I know some of you are raising literally 30 children right now in a shoe and you don't have much and you're that poor old woman in a shoe. And if you don't go right now home and cook enough meal to feed all those 30 people, you, you, they're, they're going to die. And, and we're going to have three, 30 funerals on our hands. Come on. I understand, right? That's your excuse, right? Because you're so busy. Your, your job is so important. You are the United States president's right-hand man. When the United States president needs something done in the, in the American nation, he flies you out immediately to, to the place you need to be on Air Force One. And that's why you can't come on a Saturday, right? Come on, let's be honest with ourselves. What are we putting before the things of God? What have we said is more important? And I'm not going to go into that whole message, but those are the issues. And here's what God says about the poor, because I know all of us want to be blessed. I love God that he blesses me. I love God today that my bills are paid and that he wants to give me more than enough. He wants to have a house like we have, and we have a five-bedroom house. I just found out today that we can have the whole basement now. And I just thank God that he just favors us, and he'll favor you. But look at how he does it. This is the real gospel of prosperity. Here's how it works. He who gives to the poor will lack nothing, but he who closes his eyes to them receives many curses. So why do I think there's people still going to churches and they might have hundreds of thousands of dollars and they're shouting out on Sunday mornings, they're blessed, they're blessed, but they're still getting a divorce. Their kids are still not serving God and they think they're prosperous. I'll tell you why. Because they're not using their wealth for what they're supposed to use it for. And really in God's eyes, they're cursed. Read it again. He who gives to the poor will lack nothing. Anyone here today lacking something, begin to give to the poor. Give your time to the poor. Give your heart to evangelism. You might say poor in what ways? Poor in all the ways you can think of poor. Poor financially. Poor in spirit. Poor in friendship. Maybe be the friend of someone that has no friend. Be there meeting needs for poor people. Meet the needs of those who have them. Proverbs 21, 13. Look, listen to this. People, I was talking to these uh, uh, you know, which would be considered poor people because a lot of these uh, families we were talking to did not have a lot uh, in Ohio Park yesterday. And I began to tell them that there, there can come a time where God does not hear them pray anymore. And they said, no, 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 God will always hear me pray. God, God will never do that to me. I, I, I read them a scripture very similar to this. It says, if a man shuts his ears to the cry of the poor, he too will cry out and be not answered. So we're sitting here, God, bless my family, you know, bless my kids, bless this, bless that. And God is saying, I'm not blessing you. I don't even hear you. He says he don't even hear you. You will not be answered. God is looking for somebody that says, God, make me a blessing so I can bless others. And in that flowing, you will have so much uh, residue of blessings stay with you. You know, if you become a conduit for God's blessings, blessings will just stay with you. Blessings will be upon you. You will have more than enough because as God is using you, he's letting it just, you know, soak and saturate into you. I mean, that is the plan. As Abraham was becoming blessed for the nation of Israel, not only was he giving, you know, his children land and crops so they could have a nation, but God was just blessing him with more wealth than he actually had enough time and money to spend. I mean, Solomon was a billionaire. 
Solomon was a billionaire because God wanted Solomon to be blessed for the nation of Israel to be established. Jesus paid all of his bills. Jesus had a treasurer with him. That's how Judas was stealing Jesus' money because Jesus had money. But if we do not use it for God's resource, if we do not use our resources for God's plan, he's not going to hear our prayers anymore. And just like how a sinner can go out there and work and get money, you will get out there and get money. We're not saying you're just going to be, you know, poor. You know, Donald Trump doesn't do anything for the poor in the name of Christ. But he has lots of money. But the difference is, is he has no relationship with God. And those, so for those of you here that say, I want a relationship with God, and I want to have open heavens between me and God, you have to get in your mind, you are a sheep, you are here to serve, and you are here to use your resources, time, money, and all of the talent you have. Time, money, and talent are the three things that every one of us has. Some of us has a lot, some of us has little. If we compare to other people, maybe we become jealous or, or depressed. But the bottom line is everybody has some type of money. Everybody has some type of time, and everybody has some type of talent. Those are the things God's going to judge. Can you say amen? Proverbs 19:17. He who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward him for what he has done. There's been another fallacy that's happened in the American church. Israel and his family were talking to me about it. And that is, if you sow into rich, prosperous pastors, it's like putting your seed of money into real good ground, and you'll be more blessed. And if you give to poor people, it's like putting your, your seed in rocky ground. And so what these prosperity teachers teach is, you know, sow up. Don't sow down. Because when you give your money, give it up. Give it up to the anointing. You know, so sow your money to T.D. Jake. Sow your money to Joyce Myers. Sow your money to these successful people. Because in doing so, you will reap their success. And, and then just give to the poor because they'll always be with you, as Jesus said. But don't make them your focus. That is a lie from the pit of hell. Jesus said, when you give to the poor, you have personally become indebted to God himself. There is no other place in Scripture where when you give, God himself says, now I owe you something. The Bible says, when you give to the poor, they cannot repay you. He taught us that on earth. He said, don't give to those who can repay you. Don't only invite over to dinner those who can invite you back. He said, bring in the poor and the homeless. And he said, your Father in heaven will reward you. And right here it says, be kind to the poor because you're lending to the Lord. And let me tell you, every time we give to Mozambique, we are lending to the Lord. God will give back to us with interest, 30, 60, and 100 fold. That's where that promise comes in. And that's why when you look at people's lives who I admire most, like Cho, like Lester Summerall, like so many of these people that I admire, why? It's because they've used their great wealth to influence the world and to make a difference. We're not here just to become a rich church. You're not here just to become a rich family and take care of your kids. We're here to become a blessing to this community. Are you all with me? That's the difference between a sheep and a goat. Will you turn with me in closing to Isaiah 58? And then since today is communion, we'll bring back the little lads. The minos and minas, and we'll take communion with them. Amen. Praise the Lord. I'm glad you came to church this morning. Are you glad you came? See, today is a new day, right? We're never going to be the same again. Praise God. Look at Isaiah 58. It's probably one of my favorite scriptures. I remember Rod Parsley preaching this when I first got saved, and it just it was everything I wanted to do. Isaiah is a prophet to the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel were Christ, uh, Christian-like. You know, they were followers of God. They turned away from God, and the prophets have to begin to preach to them to turn them back to God. 
One of the things that these people still did is they were religious and they would fast. You know, like how Muslims fast during Ramadan, sun up to sundown, they would still fast. God has a problem, not only with their fasting, but with all of their religion. Look what he says. Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice, untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free, to break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry, provide the poor wanderer with shelter, when you see the naked to clothe them, not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Is that not almost exactly what Jesus said? See, when Jesus came in the New Testament, he was fulfilling the Old Testament. He was being the fulfillment of what the Jews were never doing. He said, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to feed the poor, help the homeless. Look at this, verse 8. Then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, here I am. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves, look at what he says, if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness, your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will build, rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the old age foundations. You will be called repairs of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. You see, what God was saying is you people of Israel have gotten so far away from me that now Jerusalem is being destroyed. The poor are being hurting. And all you guys keep trying to do is get rich and be religious. And he says, if you will do what I've really asked you to do, spend yourself on behalf of others. Start getting out there and making a difference. He says, I will bless you in all of those ways, man, all of those ways. And he says, you will be called. A repairer of broken walls. This church will be known as a church that healed the city. We will be known as a restorer of streets with dwellings. You know what that means? We will be known as a church that brought peace back to our streets. We will restore the places where we live. We will restore the the quality of life here if we begin to go out. We know it's happening. We know it's happening because we see it happening among our youth. Now, that this is a great place to talk about our youth. Because we are here, our youth are changing their cities and their schools. Carla's school, Lydia's home, is already changing. Communities are changing right now as a result of them. Neighborhoods, blocks, groups of friends. It's time for you to do that. It's time now for us to begin to work together and to begin to be known as this type of a church. Amen? Would you all stand up with me, please? Rachel, would you come? And someone gather into the young people, please. Amen. Are you a sheep or are you a goat? A sheep helps the poor. A sheep helps the hurting. Are you a giver or are you a taker? You see, today we have a great responsibility to God as Christians and to our community as Christians to live this. God is looking at each one of us right now and He's saying, man, I expect you to do this. God is looking at you, Oscar, and He's saying, Oscar, it don't matter if you've only been saved for two months. God is saying, I expect you to do this right now. 
And that and the night he said, I expect right now. Let's let's start. For his sake, so that we may be his children. I mean, literally, I don't want to go to hell. I, I'm sure none of you here want to. So I do it for that reason. To show him that I do love him. You know, God said, This is what I gotta do. Jesus, you told me I'm gonna be judged by this. Okay, here I go. For that sake, and then other sake is for people's sake. For the people that I will be reaching, for the oppressed, the hurting. Amen. You all come and sit behind them. They're going to start being your leaders now. Come on. We have a simple vision. Love God, love people. Why do we meet the oppressed needs? Because we love God and we love people. Why next week are we going to fill this place up with your friends, your family? Why are we expecting you guys to start praying, you to start leading? Is because you love God and you love people. April is the month where I believe we need to get back to what this is all about. It's all about the one. Jesus says he loves the bringing back the one more than the 99. Let's pray. Father God, as you guys come with communion, Lord, help us today. Lord, we repent of the things that we've done that have not been in agreement with your vision. Come on, as Rachel just plays right now, would you repent of anything that's not in alignment or in agreement with the vision? Come on, just say, Lord, forgive me. Jesus, forgive us. God, we want to be called a church that fixes the city. God, we're not going to just put it on the youth anymore. We're not going to let them take away our blessing. Come on, who's got to repent today? Who's really got to repent? Who's really got to let some tears flow down the eyes? The Bible says, Godly sorrow worketh forth true repentance that leads to life. If we truly repent before a holy God today, He will not only forgive us, but we'll start feeling life come. You know what repentance is like? It's like God taking um, a pitchfork, a hoe, to stony you know, earth and, and, and the farmer breaks it up and he can plant seed. It's like God doing that to your heart. And he's breaking your heart open and he starts pouring out water and he starts softening your heart so that he can start planting his word in you. Repentance is saying, Lord, soften my heart. Jesus, soften my heart. Jesus, we've sinned against you. You said in your word, he who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, to him it is sin. Oh, God, how many here know the good they're supposed to be doing, but they don't? God, I have some people in this church that used to be in youth groups. They used to be the ones in the front. Now they're the ones sitting in the back making excuses. Lord, I pray next week, God, they take their place in the front again. Even as adults, I pray they do it again. I pray, I pray that they get rid of that excuse that says, oh, I'm married. I have children now. I'm different now. No, it never changed for Peter. It never changed. No matter how old he got, it never changed for John. It never changed for Timothy. It didn't change for me. It didn't change for Brother Anthony. It didn't change for all these great men of our past. Come on, Jesus. I pray it doesn't change for them. Let them repent today. Come on, if that's you, just repent. Get back to your first love. Jesus, repentance in this place, Lord, is like incense to your throne room right now. We're going to spend a few more moments repenting. Come on, who else today? Oh, Father God, we just need you. Jesus, we need you, Lord. We need you, Jesus. 
Oh, God, help us, Lord. Help us, Jesus. We've gotten so busy, Lord. We've gotten so busy. But, Lord, we're no different than the religious people that we think we're here to reach. God, we're no different than that Catholic who just came in and came out today and did his little Hail Mary. God, I pray for a different church. Oh, Jesus, I pray for a church that's not satisfied with letting their youth do all the praise and worship. Letting the youth clean up after church. Letting the youth go evangelizing. Some churches would be happy if they had that problem. But, Lord, we're not satisfied. We believe that there's more. We believe there's more. We believe there's more for everyone standing here today. Everyone kneeling. There is more for us There is so much more. Oh, God, make this place feel right again. God, I pray I feel at home in this place again, Lord. I pray that Sunday mornings feel right again. And, Lord, if I have to give the gift of goodbye to some people here, then, Lord, I release them to go to another church. But, Lord, I pray for, even if it's just five, four, however many stay, God, I pray that we make this place feel right again. That this place is a place of passion again. It's, it's a place where adults shake another adult's hand and say, man, thank you for coming today. Can I pray with you? Can I minister to your kids? It's a place where it's just leaders are born and made and it, and it feels right. And the presence of God is so thick in this place because saints of God, you know, mature saints of God just cry out to the Lord and worship and adoration. Oh, God, I'm looking for that passionate church again, Lord. I pray that it comes out of this repentance, oh, God. Jesus, Jesus. And, Lord, I can't help but just pray for the poor right now. Lord, those that we've just forgotten all about. God, some of us were a part of churches that did that little Thanksgiving drive every Thanksgiving, and we felt so proud of ourselves, and we gave our, you know, our extra little canned goods and Maybe they had that one goodwill drive once a year. We were so proud of ourselves. But God, shame on us. Lord, Lord, God, cover the shame that we see now, God, because there's so much more to it than that. God, cover our shame. God, I'm, I'm embarrassed for the church of America today that, that allows our government to provide for the poor instead of us. Forgive us, oh God. God, forgive this pastor, God. No matter how well-intentioned he was to invite me to his revival, God, forgive him that he did not spend that time reaching the poor. God, forgive him that he did not go out to Belmont and Clark and put it up on the gay bar. Forgive him, Lord, that he thinks that growing a church is getting all of these Christians around. Oh, Jesus, have mercy on us. Oh, Jesus, break our hearts today. Break our hearts today. If there's any of you just right now, and I have to actually say this because the youth might get caught up in this moment. I just needed some of the adults, if there's some of you, you don't need the microphone. I've only used it so that this service can be recorded. If you just need right now just to repent and others to hear your prayer because you just want to get it out, we want to hear your prayers and agree with you. It will inspire us. We're going to give you a few moments to do that. Lord, break us, Lord. 